0: Hello, folks. This is the Knick Knack Podcast. This will be season 15, episode 22, and I'm calling it Living is Easy with Eyes Closed. This is, of course, the Knick Knack Podcast. As I said, I'm Nick Knack, a neurodivergent and queer person that seeks knowledge, truth, and justice above all else. And previously, this podcast has been my way of sharing, for the most part, my story. Today, I sat down to talk with Anthony Rituno, a person of many talents, podcaster, musician, life coach, John Lennon expert, Beatle expert, English teacher, many, many other things. And we just sat and talked for about an hour and a half, and we had a great conversation. And to be quite honest, its it was a conversation that was so deep that my mind is still reeling from it, even after having sat here and done the editing for the last couple hours. So it's pretty deep, it's pretty long, about an hour and a half or so, much longer than I would normally do, but I think it's worth it. And I will come back in subsequent episodes with a deeper reflection, and hopefully we'll talk to Anthony sometime again in the future. Again, thank you so much, Anthony, for your time and for everybody out there listening Grab your favorite beverage, grab a breath, and let's get started. thank you so much for your time today I want to say I've been checking out your work for I think maybe two three weeks now I think I found it through the 60s recording podcast seriously thank you so much for being here I appreciate it
1: you're welcome thanks for inviting me yeah, It was great to get your message and um, yeah I'm kind of putting trying to put stuff out there I'm really really terrible at marketing but I'm getting slowly better and I I just have a website now, which has helped. So I've got everything in one place, so it's easier for people to find it. But yeah, thanks for having me on the show.
0: Yeah, no problem. My my interest is very much kind of the artistic bent, and your artistic talents are many and varied. And it's interesting to me because our points of origin seem to be quite similar in that, at least in your podcasting, realm you you started out with a focus on john lennon and then moved on to kind of film art and then life and then a, a bunch of other stuff from your own experience what was your experience of that journey
1: yeah well it's been quite a journey i can tell you um with the john lennon thing i mean i've i've just been uh, i've just written the intro to a, a book i'm hoping to write based on the podcast and the john lennon thing just runs very deep with me i'm sure you'll agree that childhood stuff and teenage stuff good and bad of course just runs deep with you and never really leaves you. And um, with John Lennon, I sort of discovered him about the age of 14. And to cut a very long story short, I just was completely like taken, I wouldn't say taken in, because that sounds like it's deceptive, but uh, (laughs) uh, I I connected with so much. And I, I think, you know, in common with, thousands maybe even millions of young guys you you get that john lennon image the the sort of artistic rebel and and i've realized you know as you'll know if you've been listening to to glass onion that a lot of that is an image that was projected after he died but within that there's still he's still an amazing character i think and um fast forward you know nearly 30 years uh, i was just always amazed that there was no there were no podcasts about john lennon so I, i thought i've got to you know fill that gap it's just got to happen and um went through a period of procrastination, you know, a bit of technophobia here and there. Um, Then I eventually did it. And I think one of the things maybe we'll talk about is how you you go in with a plan, but you've you've just got to allow the space for, you know, quote unquote, the magic to happen. The Glass Onion one, a friend of mine put it um, quite well, is that what I'm doing on Life for Life Only is almost the same as what I'm doing on Glass Onion, except with Glass Onion, I'm using John Lennon as a focus. So it gets into the sort of psychology of him, and really, I really do branch off, and I give myself a license because I'm I'm making barely any money, and I get a few donations here and there. So I'm thinking like, there's no rules, you know. Why should I limit myself? And then after a while, I thought, well, you know, John Lennon's great, and I've done now two and a half years on one person, but there's another side to me, um, which basically came through what I'd call alternative media. And it's truth-seeking, which probably I've always been doing, and it's become terribly clichéd, but I think it's a real thing, you know, really trying to look deep at the world. And really it comes down to two fundamental questions. Who am I and how does the world work? So that's where we get the inner and outer truth idea. So I've found that there's definitely um, a kind of interweaving of the the two podcasts, and occasionally I reference them on each other. And then I've got a third one called Film Gold. That's more still a deep dive but that's I would consider that more just purely fun whereas the other two I'm really trying to get something out there you know a lot of it's for myself for sure but I think it there is some stuff of value so that's why I was delighted that you contacted me in fact and it's I get messages from all over the world and just people saying oh I've discovered your podcast and uh I think the idea of people binging um binging uh your episodes <laughs> which happens a lot with podcasting it's it's very very flattering and it, it's it's, I think it's almost the best way to do it because you kind of establish a connection with the podcaster just through their voice. And you can really, you know, if you wait a week or two weeks between each episode, you don't
0: quite get the full effect. I think,
1: you know, binge listening or, you know, binge watching if you're watching a series or something is probably the best
0: way. I, I, ten, I tend to agree. And it's, it's funny to me just the certain elements of crossovers. I think the way that you've ventured into your artistic self from the podcasting perspective anyway obviously you have have so many artistic dimensions it's almost (laughs) mind-boggling um but but from the from the podcasting perspective like using starting from that point and i you know i started with a couple of your early glass onion episodes and then did a couple of later ones and then kind of you know, skipped around and did some binging, but it was interesting to watch the journey because of course I've had a a journey of my own myself. So I see the, you know, see the parallels, but also just the artistic way of having that base, that anchor, you know, you start with this main thing and starting with this main thing leads you to these other artistic things that you wouldn't otherwise be able to get to. And podcasting, specifically is such a i mean it's not quite a free medium anymore at least not the way it was when i started in you know 2005 2006 that that sort of timeline but it still has a lot more space within it than broadcast media of any sort you know it's like i don't know what the rules in in the uk might be but in the us anyway if you Sign up to do volunteer work at a community radio station, as I've done in the past, or or something similar. They will literally give you a brochure including things that you cannot do on air. And the most humorous thing to me is one of those things literally includes Carlin's seven words. Still, yeah, (laughs) even though it's been something like fifty years. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I've never, I've never actually worked at a radio station,
1: but just from my experiences of listening to commercial radio, because, you know, I used to have a car and go to the office and do a job that didn't really inspire me. Get you to Bill Hicks territory. <laughs> right. Um, get up at 6.30, get in traffic. Do... <laughs> or I could stay at home and learn to play the sitar. Anyway, sorry. And, uh, and uh, you know, I used to listen to the radio. And now I could barely listen to it at all. I have one radio station that plays like classic. It's like classic rock almost classic pop and I just listen to it because I know like a really a really happy 60s song is going to come on and they're going to come one after another but as soon as the ads start and just all the repetition it's just really breathtaking how how limiting for example playlists are on commercial radio you know with the Beatles is a little bit different you've probably got a choice of about 20 songs but you know if you take for example let's say that they say oh here's a song by Johnny Cash coming up it's almost certainly going to be Ring of Fire False Prison or what other. So I think podcasts is this wonderful thing where, you know, we are free and I think people sometimes limit themselves in fact. And I find myself doing this and I really have to fight against it. You know, you don't have to have it within a certain uh, duration, for example. I mean, it is better if you want people to listen to it to not make it, you know, four hours. But I think really of commercial radio and commercial media in general, it's so limited and limiting and it it gets you in this funny like mindset where you're just listening to the, the DJ just saying the same thing all the time you know repeating the same news stories so I think I think with a creative space it, it is giving yourself space and it and also I think the thing is that one thing I got from John and Yoko was the idea of you, you remember John used to say oh I'm an artist with a capital a right and, right. and any and anyone could be an artist you know you could just you can just record some noise, you know, and people, you know, you could argue about that, you know, does, is there skill required or not? But I think, um, you know, I don't know what it's like in the States, but in England, people really hate anything that seems pretentious and calling yourself an artist seems pretentious, but a friend of mine said to me, that's the space you've got to get into, you know, say to yourself, I am an artist, I am a creative person. And that creativity can flow,
0: you know? Totally. Totally. Yeah. It's, Hmm. it's, it's really interesting with with podcasting over recent years. I don't remember when it started, but at some point, institutions like the BBC and NPR got involved. Hmm. Being the type of podcaster that, that I am, and I would I would, you know, guess based on our conversation, being being the type of podcaster that you are, it's almost offensive. <laughs> that you have to now share this space with mainstream media because it's like, no, that's not the point. Well, the the thing that made me the most angry is
1: that we have a thing in England, the Radio Times, which gives all the TV listings. And um, I mean, I never buy it, but when I go and visit my parents, they have it. And at the end of the year, they have top 10 lists. And of course, now the Radio Times has a podcast section. All the podcasts they're talking about are podcasts by famous people, or as you said, by institutions, you know, the BBC, etc and they have top 10 podcasts of the year. And essentially it's top 10 podcasts by famous people. (laughs) You know, it's not the top 10 podcasts. It's the same as, there's a parallel here because um, I'm going to imagine that you don't swallow what the mainstream media tells you. Certainly not, um, you know, without questioning it. And another thing, you know, you'll have top 10 news stories and again, it's top 10 mainstream media news stories. Big difference you know it's not the top 10 most significant things that have happened in the world so yeah i share your annoyance absolutely
0: you know there there's something again you know thinking thinking about back to the way you, you do glass onion and the, the way you you know kind of kind of use john lennon as a lens like if you look mm. at john's both creative output and his life experiences as two separate things which you almost almost have to with with any artist you start to see a, a picture that is, that is uniquely different. Something interesting about the '60s is it was a time, albeit very briefly, where all these fields of study and interest and, you know, kind of the, the humanities, in a, in a, you know, if you were to, to try and throw one word at it, mm. all these disciplines kind of started to challenge authority in a larger way. I don't think you can necessarily pin it down to one person. You can't say, oh, you know, Frank Zappa enabled all this to happen, or John Lennon enab- enabled mm-hmm. all this to happen. You know, it's like, no, it's not. It, it was a collective cultural thing that happened, which is a beautiful world to go back to and reflect on and try and exist in as much as you can, especially if you were, bo- you know, both you and I were born well after the 60s. I, I'm 84, and I think...
1: 75, 75, yeah, 75 yeah, yeah yeah
0: yeah so I mean like if you're born well after that period it, it kind of becomes a his uh, interesting historical point of well oh, gee we almost got there we almost yeah we almost made some progress and then it all fell mm. apart and then you're just sitting there scratching your head going why did it die
1: a couple of ideas about that I mean with um with the anti-authority thing what happened in England you ever heard of the goons radio show uh, in
0: passing, it's not coming to mind, though. It'll probably, it probably comes up in, in
1: connection with other things, like Peter Sellers was one of the goons originally. There was a kind of a trajectory that started from about the 50s of really satire, which essentially is challenging authority by making fun of it. If you watch the Beatles' first film Our Day's Night, you get John having these little digs at authority, but at that time, he was quite controlled and he was deciding to play the game. And then it went on, and then by the late sixties, you now you've just got a completely different world. I mean, that period from '63 to about '69. I mean, you just from from our trajectory or from our perspective now, you just can't imagine, you know. And I wasn't there, but I have studied it quite a bit, which isn't the same, but it gives me some ideas. That those six years for example the changes that went on in the world are just just incredible and you're right like we, we are at a point now where the alternative media that i'm some kind of involvement with and have been since about 2008 it's really you know late 60s um rhetoric and i don't mean rhetoric in a bad way but it's the late 60s sentiments You know, there's a podcast i listen to called tangentially speaking by a, a guy called chris ryan you know and he says oh you know my friends call me an old hippie and, you know, and I'm proud of that because a lot of what the hippies said was was kind of right, but I think where it got lost really was in the eighties politically because essentially uh, when Reagan and Margaret Thatcher who's our first female prime minister came in at the at the beginning of the eighties, they heralded this kind of switch to privatization and they said the government they had a very clever slogan the government is the problem, so they use the idea that people have realized that governments lie after Watergate and um you know, I guess MK Ultra wasn't known at that time, but everything has come out since. So they their idea was to deregulate, and essentially, the, so the corporations start to have power instead of the governments. But as bad as governments are, I would say corporations are arguably worse. You know, you could argue about that, in that we do at least elect politicians. Um, although, you know, FDR, one of your famous presidents, said uh, presidents are selected rather than elected. It's pretty interesting coming from an actual president rather than a conspiracy theorist, you know, but uh, you're right. There was a point, you know, I'd love to go back to the late sixties. I'd love to be there. You know, I thought, I'm sure it wasn't all as amazing as everybody says, but I'm sure there was some kind of spirit there and um, it got lost somewhere in the eighties and we're still trying to pull ourselves out of it. I feel.
0: I definitely don't think you're wrong. I think uh, the funny thing is like the, the human experience is, is so complex that you know we, we can try and try and try, but I don't think we can ever really capture it because it's so much of an individual experience. I, I remember when I was very heavily into John and the Beatles, kind of around the similar similar time frame in my life, I got my I got Sergeant Peppers was the first Beatles album I got uh on my tenth birthday in parallel with getting a Nirvana album. Oh wow. <laughs> and so that you know that was you know, picture the end of September 1994, like, Curvain died, I think, you know, six months before. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, it was either the anthology had just come out or was about to come out. It was I can't remember which one it was, but... Just just about to, yeah, a year later. Yeah. yeah, thank you, thank mm. you. Yeah, but, you know, you you had this interesting time where the Beatles were popular and also there was this very anti-different evolved anti-establishment stuff going on through the likes of Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Green Day etc cetera, etc cetera. so mm. and you know and then you bring X-Files and Art Bell and all that crap into it and it's just like
1: oh mm. my god <laughs> yeah you don't you don't know what the truth is but you know that there's something there to at least be grasped
0: yeah yeah that that old phrase you know the truth is out there I think we've, mm. we've both used it in our podcasts and media at, at various points, and a lot, of, a lot of your music also references that sort of idea and mentality. Do you think there's a specific truth out there, or is it just kind of this constant ongoing process through just being creative and trying to uncover it?
1: Ooh, I would say you could just grasp at little bits of truth. I don't. No, you're absolutely right. There's not one... For everybody but um all you really have to do and can do is every day just try and make a little bit of progress so when i go to sleep at night the way of a friend i used to have i've i've stopped beating myself up if i don't produce something every single day but when i go to bed at night i do want to think that maybe i've learned a little bit and i've passed a little bit of information or knowledge along and i think that's all you can do i think there are truths like the little kernels of truth out there. Yeah, I wrote this thing. It's almost really just a few sentences called The True Battle. And it says, uh, dot, 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 and out of the years of befuddlement, insufficient rest and worrisome thoughts came a moment of calm clarity. He'd always reasoned that God, and I'm using God to say the creator, must have put the truth and the path to mental freedom far away so as to test him and make the discovery of it a long drawn out struggle a life's work. In reality, he put it right there in front of him so as to provide a greater test, a test of courage, a test of nerve, to have the nerve to reach out and touch it. Instead of the proverbial long road to salvation, it was more like a proverbial flick of a switch, a change in the mind, a decision to live with more generosity of spirit and graciousness. And what was this truth? That ultimately the battle was against himself and that his, quote, enemies were just inadvertently providing the necessary challenges to help him realize this. He quickly thanked them and moved on. I would just say to anyone listening to this, yeah, just, just try every day of your life to try and learn something and try and pass it on if you think it's useful. Worrying about finding a truth is, it's almost the trick that advertising pulls, which is, is dangling some thing that you can aim for, but you can never quite reach. There are, there are moments of realization. I'm sure you must have had plenty of these in your time you know oh yeah that light bulb goes off and again i think the other thing that things like meditation help you with you've got to clear some space because i think most people without realizing it they're essentially controlling this they're controlling their lives by you know obviously you know they may have external things like a job and a mortgage and a family but within that you know it's incredible how much we all unless we guard against it. We all create loads of rules for ourselves. We're creating almost a prison for ourselves. So I think really truth, again, is about, is about clearing space. You've got to let the magic happen. If there's some magic, you've got to let it in. Well put, Anthony,
0: well put. <laughs> and it's an honour to have this conversation with you. I'm just going oh, to say it. It. say it that way. <laughs> you know, I called the title Living is Easy with Eyes Closed. And obviously mm. that's, you know, John Lennon, Strawberry Fields forever, my view of his peak. But even though that was a biographical song about himself and the Salvation Army home that was behind his house, or not directly behind, but kind of up the hill. I've been there. It was mm. interesting to see it. Within his struggle to wrestle with whatever whatever demons he was directly facing at the moment, he he found this kernel of truth, like you're saying, mm. that so many people live through the world, but they don't think outside of their, I'm just going to use the word algorithms, hmm. you, know, you know, this kind of pre-programmed mundane, here's what I'm going to get up and do every day because I have to do it. And it, it, it kind of shows up in in some of Persic's writing. I, I know we were talking before the show and, and hmm. you had mentioned that you had read a little bit of Persik yourself and... Hmm. I'm trying to remember the part, particularly at the beginning when he's kind of riding through Western Minnesota and, you know, he's, he's still riding with um, John and Sylvia and Sylvia makes the comment to the extent of, you know, I was watching people on the, on the interstate and they looked like zombies, like they're dead or, you know, I don't remember the exact line. And Hmm. I I think that's very much, very much it. And Persick's comeback was, they're going to, they're just committing to work. You, you work to live, and that's what they are doing. There's, there's no logical place you can take it from there, at least according to his perspective at that point. But I think it's very, it's very symbolic of that's the world we live in, and increasingly that's a world that. Norm Chomsky, have you ever? Oh yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> I listen to her.
1: I, I have reservations. I could
0: tell you about them in a second, but yeah, I've got, yeah. Hell of a lot from Chomsky. Yeah. Yeah. But
2: yeah.
0: Just this, this idea that we, we are not meant to think critically anymore, I guess is really what it is.
1: I think, you know, when, when we talk about, I mentioned Bill Hicks earlier, and there was that skit about, um, you know, driving to a job that doesn't inspire you. I think it is possible. I mean, I don't have children, um, but if I, people who have children it is possible to make a decision to do a job that you're not really into, but you can tolerate. And there is a way where you could make it tolerable. But really, I don't, I don't think it's even about necessarily always the job you have, but it's your attitude. And yeah, living is easy with eyes closed. And I'm sure you know the Beatles song, Rain, the whole premise of that, apparently, you know, when the rain comes, they run and hide their heads and you know the rain could be the truth or a truth and a truth that's too close to home you know they run and hide their heads or they put their umbrella up and And it's funny it's funny actually it just came to me i think creative people seem to love rain (laughs) like i I got caught in the rain a few weeks ago and instead of running and being afraid of it because at the end of the day it's just water (laughs)
2: right
1: i um I don't know, I just embraced it. You know, I didn't quite do a rain dance, but you know, I, I was just thinking fucking hell, this is great, I love this. And you know, it's true that weeks and weeks of rain, you know, can can get a bit boring and a bit relentless, but uh, it's very funny that creative people always seem to like rain because it, it's water coming from the gods
0: essentially, isn't it, you know? Um, yeah, there, there's a lot to that. I, it's, hmm. I was thinking to myself before we, we started the call, just about this phenomenon that i keep trying to understand there's something about I, I didn't spend a great deal of time exploring areas of great britain other than manchester and liverpool when i was there but hmm. there was something about even though even though liverpool wasn't quite what i thought it was going to be because obviously it's not 1955 it's <laughs> you know at yeah. the time it was 2010 <laughs> yeah, yeah so you know even though the, the experience was slightly different it's like there's something about both these cities and they are you know somewhere in the range of 50 something degrees north and then i look at my u.s experience and i say well what are the cities that i've most enjoyed and, and found to be the most again using the term very globally mm-hmm. artistic the cities that come to mind first are new york to some extent but more even the New York, I think of Minneapolis, I think of Seattle, I think of Portland, and I think of San Francisco, and that's mm. the list. And it's just like, there. there's something about living in a colder, darker climate. And you can even extend it to the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, having explored both Melbourne and Sydney a little bit, mm. in 2001, I, I found, for whatever reason, melbourne i like sydney i don't like and and i couldn't quite understand it other than to later say to myself well melbourne is closer to the south pole than sydney is and that was my yeah, only, yeah. only way to understand it and I, I still can't explain it
1: yeah melbourne was um that's funny i was in melbourne and sydney in 2001 <laughs> that's I hilarious we, i wonder if we passed each other in the street you never know <laughs> I think when i was traveling a lot of it is the people that you're with yes and i remember melbourne just being really really nice um i remember it being a bit rainy but nicely rainy it wasn't it wasn't that kind of relentless sort of rain that you get in england and the rain in england's not even necessarily it's not, it's not tropical storms like you might find in in india or, or thailand or somewhere like that it's this sort of annoying niggly rain that just sort of comes down all day <laughs> But, yeah, it's, it's funny, yeah, being in Manchester and Liverpool, I mean, I think everyone in England, if they're honest, would say that the north is friendlier. And it doesn't mean that they're better people. It just means that outwardly they're more friendly. So I think you picked a couple of good places there. And Liverpool, just because of the Beatles and because of what I've discovered since, just, just has a kind of a magic about it. I think it's a humour about the people. Again, we talk about childhood memories before, teenage memories. I went to Liverpool for the first time in 1995. Oh, wow. And I, was, and I was with my first love, like my first serious relationship. So those two things together uh, was just amazing. But to go to all these places, you know, like Gambia Terrace where John Lennon and Stuart Sutcliffe, and we we went for a few drinks in the Ye Crack, which was the, the art college, the pub next to the art college, which hasn't changed, hadn't changed, I should say too much then. Um, yeah, there's just a the magic about it. And it's just, it's, it's a memory that you just can't, you, you're never going to erase that. You know, if it, if it's a bad memory, of course, you can take steps to try and erase it. If it's a good memory, you don't really want to erase it, do you? So it's going to be there uh, forever, pretty much.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's a valid point. You can't erase the, or you can't erase or negate the experiences that you had at a place that that might make that experience more unique but yeah it's it's funny like the bulk of my traveling I went on this the way I got to Australia was this uh, both Australia and New York for the first time was this through my high school choir and you know it was very much a guided guided traveling you know kind of tour guide sort of sort of travel there were there were some house stays in in Australia but in in the case in New York, it was well. I want to go to Strawberry Field, but nobody is interested in going to Centra- into Central Park, so I'm kind of screwed, sort of thing. <laughs> and, yeah. and Manhattan, of course, I don't. I don't know if you have ever been to Manhattan, but Manhattan is big enough to where y- you know you look at it in the map and you think, oh, I can walk this easily, and you start walking. It. It's mm. like no, oh, nope, that's not going to work. <laughs> yeah, okay. I wa- I walked about. 70 blocks I
1: think or something and it was I've been to America to the States once September 2002 I remember because it was the first anniversary of 9-11 and we stayed in Boston mostly for about a week and I really liked Boston and we spent a weekend in New York and it was it was kind of everything I was expecting in the best way but it was lovely September sunshine and I walked and walked and walked and walked and I, I don't know i can 't remember from where, obviously I went past the Dakota, right, and I went into the coffee shop that he used to go, to. La Fortuna, I think it's called, oh. And there were pictures of him, pictures of him all over the walls, and I spoke to the lady who remembered I think she'd been there that long because it was only it's funny to think it was only twenty years after he died, and now it's twenty years ago, so I was slap back in the
0: slap bang in the middle there, but yeah, I love New York, yeah yeah, New York is. <sighs> Again, New York is one of those things that's, like, for me, like, for me, because I'm on the West Coast, and every time I've ever gone, most of the times I've gone that far east, you know, 3,000 miles, give or take, Mm. it's usually been over land. So, for me, it's, like, by the time I finally get to New York, I'm just exhausted. So, I don't have the energy. And New York is very much a place of dynamic energy. More than, you know, I, 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 I went, I went through London and kind of used the tubes and or the tube rather, and hmm. didn't didn't see street side very much. So I can't speak to London so much. But outside of that, more than any other city I've been to, New York is just this constant hard artistic assault on your senses yeah yeah I wouldn't say London and New York look
1: similar but they have a lot of similarities I mean I guess they've been sort of cleaned up like literally cleaned the streets a bit more but in the past they were both quite dirty which sort of added to the appeal almost and there were all kinds of possibilities there but at the same time it's a hard place if you don't earn much money When I lived in London at various times, I tried to just enjoy the experience, thinking that I'll probably never be able to live here permanently. And I don't think I'd want to even. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. yeah. It's really interesting. I remember my time in in Seattle. I had a little basement apartment, uh, not kind of in a, a black neighborhood, not too far from what I later learned to be Jimi Hendrix's school, high school. Oh, wow which I I wasn't aware of that at the time. I had no idea. It was just like, oh, I've got this nice little basement apartment for $650 a month in a city for the first time in my life. This is kind of a, you know, what Maslow might describe describe as a peak experience in many ways. Mm. And it's just this funny thing of, even as I was having this experience I was in the basement of the city, <laughs> hmm. like like literally in the basement of the city. So, you know, because because I I never achieved much economic upward mobility. It's kind of like, well, you're there, but you you can only experience what you can experience, and and yeah, a lot of my travels been my travels have been the same way. It's like, oh, well, there's you know. Here's the inside of of, of Mendips offered as a tour. Can I afford that? Well, no. <laughs> you know, I I, right. I don't I don't know if that's a great example because I can't remember if they charged or not. But you, you you get my point. They did, yeah, they did, yeah. But that that is a great
1: one, though. If you do ever get back there, try and do that tour because like, that is kind of magical, really. But yeah, if I could just just say one thing about that, yeah, New New York has always been my favorite setting for films. And I'm a huge fan, really. My my era of choice is the 70s, you know, that, that Hollywood New Wave. And it's funny, they they call it the paranoia era, but I'd say it's more like the real, the realism era, you know, because it was around the time of Watergate. But if you take taxi driver, for example, if you leave aside the stuff at the end, the really violent stuff, essentially you've got a guy living in a city who's completely outside the city, you know, and he's just living in this sort of Quote unquote, straight world of just, and I mean, straight as in square world, conventional world of millions of people living in a city. And he's walking the streets, but he's got no connection to anyone he sees. And I had a bit of that in London. Now, I did, I ma- I've always managed to find a little niche kind of group. And um, perhaps I could talk a bit later about how you can attract the people you want into your life. Um, but uh, yeah new york has got that fascination with me and london london we've had that a bit but british films we never really had a we haven't really had a british taxi driver <laughs> for some reason british films tend to be quite quaint you can get realistic ones but uh yeah what you're saying about living in the city i've had exactly the same thing it's like it's like you're there but you're not quite there <laughs> Does that make any sense? It it totally
0: does. (laughs) Tell me about your musical experience.
1: Yeah, this is pretty interesting because I I took up the guitar when I was 14. This is all quite fresh because I've just written, uh, like I said, I've just written this intro of a few pages to this book that I'm hoping to write. Um, Around the time I discovered the Beatles, so it can't really be an accident there. And I did try writing songs like way back when I was 15. And there was one song that I wrote when I was 16, that I ended up recording when I was 40, which is pretty bizarre. Uh, So I kept songwriting for a while. And then for about 10 years, I became essentially a covers artist. Maybe not 10 years, but a bit less than that. And I found there was a kind of an art in doing covers gigs. And I mean, it was for a little bit of money as well. I don't think I would have done it just for the fun. And then what happened was I moved to Madrid when I was 39, which is about six years ago. And I, you know, through open mics, you know, open mic. Oh, absolutely. List of of names, you all get three songs or 10 minutes, however long it is. And I suddenly discovered tons and tons of musicians. And um, I thought, I've got to just do one album just get these old songs that I wrote years ago. I can change them a little bit. And the guy I was working with was just an amazing musician and a great producer as well. And I said, like, I'd really just like to do an album and kind of get these songs out there, get a good version. Because I had demos all over my all over my YouTube and my SoundCloud accounts. But And he said, yeah, let's do it. So over about, I think, nine months, I recorded my first album at the age of 40. <laughs> and then... Uh, in the next four years, which takes us up to about 2019, uh, I suddenly became a songwriter again, and I I did two more studio albums of mostly original material. There's literally like one or two covers on there. And then put out a couple of live albums. So now I've got the total of five albums out there. But also, you know, everything is on my website. And there's demos, there's live performances, and I suddenly got like an absolute ton of stuff online, but all really in the last let's say seven or eight years and the the truth stuff wasn't really in any of the earlier songs perhaps because i just wasn't really aware of it or wasn't involved in any kind of community but it's kind of seeped out and there's a song i'd like to recommend people listen to called the fool's guide which is about it's about seven minutes it's very very epic and there's eight or nine people on it and that really yeah, the tagline is about believing what you read and believing what you hear. So that's a big thing. And then my other big favorite, really, I don't know if you come across this, a song called Life Goes On. And it was taking a John Lennon model. If you think of songs like um, I Want You, She's So Heavy, or You Know My Name, Look Up the Number, the idea of just using one phrase and trying to make a whole song out of that one phrase. And Life Goes On, the only lyrics are Life Goes On, Dear, Please Be Strong, Dear. And we managed to make a four or four and a half minute song out of it. And um, someone came in and did a Spanish musician. Lady came in and did this amazing violin part. She just came up with in about half an hour. So that's a big favorite because that that in that case you don't really need any lyrics. It, it's all there in the music. We managed to capture just that one sentiment. And I even uh, cheekily made a video using the Stargate sequence from 2001: A Space Odyssey. Is uh, right up there with my favourite films. And I put, if you want to look at it on YouTube, it's called Life Goes On Stargate Odyssey. And uh, uh, the, unfortunately, the actual, I, I, I put a load of echo on the song, which sounds really bad. So it's a really bad, not the greatest version of the song, but it's the song, you know, over this Stargate footage. So <laughs> that's another thing. But yeah, it, it's funny. It's something that, having done all that in 2019, I haven't really written or, felt like recording anything since my focus suddenly switched to podcasting so I don't know if you find this but sometimes it's tough to juggle everything and you find for a few months your focus is on one thing and then something triggers oh I want to get back to music and then I might go back to that for a few months so it's all creativity at the end of the day isn't it in a sense it's all one thing
0: it really is it's just it's it's you you're expressing your artistic self in different in different venues obviously you have the the fool fool's guide as the theme song to glass onion which which works really really well so that was kind of my first introduction to your music but then in one of the bonus episodes you you did an you included an interview that you did on a, another podcast where you were talking about your music and suddenly I heard that and I went Wow, Here, here's here's a whole artistic side to this person that I had no idea about, and I'm really I'm really digging. Like, if I listen to, for me, it was it was the Fool's Guide that spoke to me, probably the heaviest. Hmm. Uh, they they all do, of course, but it, it was the Fool's Guide, and then a lot of the stuff on your Th- Through Life album that yeah. that really really spoke the most to me it's it's one of those things where for for me my the time where i was experimenting with music i have a i have this limitation to where with the right accompaniment and the right Hmm. key i can be a decent vocalist but in most cases i'm not a great vocalist i'm more of a lyricist that Hmm. can't can't play an instrument so I'll, I'll have i'll have my artistic ideas but they're more you know like 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 I, I i did my own version in fact the first song i recorded all my songs were kind of demo-y sort of mm-hmm. stuff but all cappella sort of well this is me just very trying to play with ideas sort of thing mm-hmm. um but the first song i recorded was called say what you want to say and i recorded it when i was 19.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and it was what did, you use,
1: what did you use to record it
0: i i just recorded it in i think it was a usb mic plugged mm-hmm. into a, a computer and a sound forge. and it oh, was right. you know it was just me screwing around with the idea of key changes in some places and repetitive lyrics because i had i had an emotional core to that particular song but i didn't have the the, all the elements that you really need to make a song so it's just like okay well this is what i have I'm, i at the time i was just starting to learn digital audio workstations and that sort of thing so it's just like mm. well the, here's what i can do but still just this this idea of there are so many ways you can express yourself mm. and they're all a version of your truth yeah they're they're all valid yeah yeah exactly mm. exactly mm.
1: With a just can say, with a Fool's Guide, um, the other thing about it, another thing I got from John Lennon, and by the way, I've just for Gasan and I've just recorded a, a show with a friend of mine um, called Owen, who's been on a couple of other times, about John Lennon's three books. And if you haven't read his three books, I just read them back to back, and it was I can't tell you how inspiring it was, <laughs> and how brilliant some of the pun, some of the puns and wordplay are. And the fool's guide, in fact, it's not the fool apostrophe S, it's the fool's guide. So you could take it as the fool's guide, which means that we are run by fucking idiots most of the time. (laughs) We're run by fools. So it's actually supposed to be a double meaning. I love it. Yeah, it could be like a a guide for fools. But I I thought I'd leave it open, like leave out the apostrophe because then you've got two options there. So I credit, again, I credit John Lennon and other people for giving me a love of wordplay and I would say to people try and read John Lennon's three books in his own right expanded
0: in the works and skywriting by word and mouth because they, I, I, they're awesome <laughs> I, I completely agree his <laughs> his wordplay and his jokes you know occasionally by modern standards you're like no that that does not work but the the intention I, I guess you have to go into it and this is this is pretty true of most of John's stuff. You got you got to go into it remembering. Okay, yeah, there there are certain elements about who he was mm. that were damaging or did harm or weren't great, especially if you read Cynthia Powell's book and and various other elements. You know about the Lost Weekend and other elements of his life. Mm. But there was seemed to be, in my perception of him and and all my studies of of his work and and what he was trying to do, he was always coming from this place of brutal honesty. Hmm. Like, I'm not going to hold back. I'm going to say what I think is true. And what I think is true at 2.48 a.m. may be different from what I think is true at 2.50 a.m. But... I'm going to publish whatever is the truth now. Hmm. And, and for me, that's that was the biggest inspirational cue I, I took from his work. It's like, okay, truth changes, individual truth changes as you go through life, but that doesn't make it any less true. And there are going to be people that say, well, you shouldn't be saying X, Y, or Z. And, you know, there's social rules, there's all these elements, but Maybe it's a a sad tragedy that you can't appreciate a person's anything close to a person's individual truth until they're no longer around to hear it appreciated. But Hmm. truth is is so valuable, whether it's individual truth or trying to figure out what truth lay between the individuals involved, if that makes any sense.
1: Yeah, I I wonder how we'll view Paul McCartney after he dies. Let's, let's just say, for argument's sake, I don't know. He lives to what is he now? He must be. Oh, he's, I think he's 80 next year. Say he lives to 82, 83. The thing with him, and there is a kind of a leonard McCartney schism in the Beatles podcasting world, which I, I just can't get involved with because I just just doesn't interest me. Um, I think the problem with, what I find with Paul McCartney in terms of maybe appreciating him to the full, is that he's always there. Like if you look at now on the internet. He's always there doing something, having his face somewhere, doing an interview. And I think when he dies, I don't mean this in a callous way, it'll be probably the first time in my lifetime almost. I mean, there was a period in the eighties where he was a bit reticent about doing interviews. It's almost the first time where we actually have a space where he's not occupying it with more stuff and more things and telling the old stories. So funnily enough, it's when someone retires or when someone dies, that you've actually got weeks and months and years and even decades to, to assess what they're doing because they're not constantly adding to it. Yeah, Because I, because I think Paul McCartney is, he's not allowing any mystique you know there's a bit of mystique about him for sure but he doesn't allow enough mystery because he's always there, he's always doing stuff like fine he's a workaholic, great but um, with John Lennon there's obviously it's all gone in waves you know of, and again I just have Zero interest in cancel culture and social media deciding that he's a wife, Peter. I just have no interest in that at all. Um, again, you know, if people are interested, go at it, you know, not judging. But yeah, you've you've got to the fact that somebody's not there, it, it does change the way you look at them, but that doesn't have to necessarily be false. Now, like I said, maybe at the top of the show, I think there has been a sort of callousness in the way that. His widow and his estate have marketed him because they've obviously played up the piece, Nick, which was, you know, I think he was dedicated to it. I think he was dedicated to changing the world, but that was one John Lennon of many. Um, I don't, know, I can't remember where we started with this. But, uh, where did we start with that?
0: I don't. Know. I, I don't know, but I, but I, I, I think you're on something very strong, and I wanna, I wanna add my two cents, if that's okay. Go ahead. Um, um, try to be Paul for a second, like okay i'm i'm paul mccartney i'm in my late 70s i've I've done great work i keep i i like working i keep i keep working i keep trying to do what what works for me and if you're paul mccartney that's great that's awesome that's wonderful that's that's who he is that's what he is Mm. but if you're i'll just speak for myself because that's the easiest If you're knickknack and you're sitting there listening and researching and studying Paul McCartney to whatever extent you you're interested in it in throughout the various phases of your life, you're sitting there going, "Okay, I I understand that you've got your artistic sense and your artistic identity of of who you are are Paul, and I respect that. I respect the hell out of that. But it also interferes with." the way I process this art, I guess, is really, really the closest thing I I can, I could bring it to. It's like, I don't, I don't think there's any artist be, you know, from music to film or, or whatever that I don't, that I haven't immediately seen some value in. Even hip hop, which, you know, I don't enjoy hip hop, but even hip hop, I see some artistic value in. So that's great, but that, you know, there's this difference between being a creator of art and being a consumer of art. And when you're the, when you're the creator, you need the, the space to, to do your thing, whether you're Paul McCartney or George Lucas or whoever you might be. But if you're on the consumer end and you grew up with Star Wars and suddenly George Lucas decides to release the prequel trilogy and then Disney subsequently buys it, it's like, Excuse me, you're shitting on my childhood. Stop that. <laughs> yeah. so so it's very much that that dynamic. and And the thing about John is and, and with and any creative person for that matter, is a person is never all one thing. You can never you can never boil down a person to one single note. And sometimes, in order to appreciate somebody's art, somebody somebody will focus on one note of that person's career, or, as you pointed out, Yoko to to a large degree, and the, the John Lennon estate in general has has very much played up that image of him hmm. from roughly, I don't know, seventy to seventy three or so, maybe not quite hmm. extending that far, but
1: you you oh, know I'd t- say. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. I'd, I'd probably say like the piece, maybe sixty-eight to 70, seventy-two, really, because he he pretty much gave up on activism after they they lost yeah. the election in seventy-two. So say 68 to 72, Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Thank you for correcting me. But yeah, yeah. That you know, they 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 focused on marketing that one image, and and you miss the rest of it.
1: Can I just say one thing? If there are Paul McCartney fans listening who are irritated by what I said before. I love the guy. I think he's amazing. I think what he's given to the world is phenomenal, but I think and I think after he dies, like I said earlier, I think you know we will be reveling in what he gave to the world for years and decades after. So I've got nothing against him. It's just a thing of uh, it's just a thing of overexposure really. And I'm sure there were people actually, I had my mum on my podcast, which was pretty cool. And I think I don't know if it was on mic or off mic, but she was saying, you know, we did get sick of the Beatles because they were just everywhere, like every newspaper you you picked up, you know, back in the early '60s. And um, she was talking about that, and, and uh, yeah, so it's it's just overexposure. I think I think to fully to fully have people appreciate what you're doing. I think perhaps you've got to leave a little bit of mystery and you've got to leave a bit of a gap. You can't just be exposed all the time because you're not giving them the space to absorb what you've already done. If you're constantly just doing stuff all the time, that's what I'd say.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's fair. And I, I share your feelings. I respect the hell out of who, who Paul McCartney is and in, in the work he's done and what he's, what he tries to do, but it's sure at times to quote george harrison it's all too much
1: (laughs) (laughs) i think the other thing with him perhaps one of the greatest achievements of his life really was his relationship with linda because you know if you think about the tabloid media if there had been any hint that either of them had been unfaithful or that they'd had marital troubles you know the tabloids would have been all over it but i've never heard anything you know there's all these silly rumors that John and Paul were wife swapping with Linda and Yoko. You could literally say anything, you know. You could start any rumor you want, and someone will probably latch onto it, you know. But I think that's a great achievement, and the way he's brought up as kids, I think perhaps we should look at look at that as perhaps his greatest achievement, along with the music.
0: Well, that's that's very true. I mean, both both in terms of of actual years lived, and mm. I think in terms of experiences had, and of course, this is. I don't. I don't think this is. Any reflection on John because his life was tragically and horribly cut short, but Paul has been able to live a very, very, very full life. Hmm. And for a beetle, you you know you look at the, the you look at the way George's life went. I don't know a lot about George uh, or Ringo, but if you look at the way. George's life went after the breakup the way Ringo's life went after the breakup the way John's life went up at, at the breakup and then the way Paul's life went up after the breakup and you you look at it and realize wow Paul I think really both as a beatle and then as a solo artist and a person was really 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 starting down a different path than the other three were and of course the great thing i don't it's not my favorite era but the the great thing about the white album get back let it be and abbey road is that you see that there that this is no longer one artist but this is now four unique individual artists yeah sure
1: i always found it interesting that the two arguably the two truth seekers of the beatles are the ones that aren't with us anymore, and are also the ones, tragically enough, that both attracted uh, the worst kind of fan. Because, of course, as as I'm sure you know, George Harrison was nearly died when he was attacked in his house in 1999 by a by a well, obviously a highly mentally disturbed a guy from Liverpool, weirdly enough. Um, that's a very
0: weird thing. I, I, I need to learn more about George because I just. I have a, I understand kind of who he was kind of, mm. but it isn't, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunately my own bias. It's just like, I know Within You and Without You is an absolutely wonderful piece and it- Yeah, I love it. It embraces world music and it does so much, but it, it's, not, it's not the eight minutes of, the, of Sergeant Pepper that I enjoy the most. I mean, you know, it's it's yeah.
1: I mean, it's just an opi- it's just opinions, isn't it? It's what what connects with you and what doesn't. But um, no, the what I was gonna say with George, if you don't know this story, yeah, I mean, it's it's awful. You know, in 1999, he was living in this enormous house in Henley, and I actually went to Henley College, and we actually went up to, well, <laughs> we went up to find his house. And then we saw a house that looked fairly big, and we thought, that's quite, quite a big house, but that's not as big as we thought." And then someone said, "Yeah, that's the gardener's house." <laughs> oh <laughs> so Yes yeah, so the gardener had a fairly big house. But then someone uh, managed to scale the wall and in the middle of that night, got into George's bedroom and, and stabbed him, and was about to was, you know, very close to stabbing him to death. And in fact, it was his wife, Olivia. I think she picked up a champ no, not a chandelier. what would it be? like a candelabra or something, and started fighting the guy off. And then George was also fighting him off while shouting Hare Krishna. I like like to think was actually George's sense of humour. I don't think it was meant as earnestly as it might sound. I think he was actually trying to throw the guy off. But, yeah, it's just very interesting to me that that those two guys were the ones who were uh, attacked by... By, well, I'm not going to say fans. We don't know if Mark Chapman was actually a Beatles fan per se. We know he had some interest in them, but that's interesting. Yeah, I... it's very grisly. Of course, I mean, whenever I think about what happened to John Lennon, it's just there have been you know, dramatizations of it. It's just, it's just really awful, and it's not because it's him. It could be anybody.
0: Yeah, yeah. well, it's it's for me. It's like I. It destroys my heart that hmm. there there's no other way for it because because i think if somebody had taken chapman aside or talked to him or or had seen him for a person that was in trouble or having problems sometime before it happened you you might have been able to avoid the situation but so so, so often what happens especially with With mental health and being a person that that has suffered greatly with mental health challenges Mm. it is people don't see it for for it people don't see it right i guess is is maybe the best best way and for for me the tragedy of of the way chapman and and john cross cross paths was that in many ways if you look at their life stories individually you you could almost think to yourself had chapman been thinking in a different way or had john even been thinking in a different way not that you know that, that had, had things gone differently i guess the point is 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 mm-hmm. what i'm trying to say you, you could almost see them cro- having some sort of positive exchange rather than a yeah yeah but it no but, i get it yeah yeah it's it's just it hurts so bad both both as a person that 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 wishes like i i just recently got back into milk and honey and and rediscovered um i don't want to face it and mm. god that's just so haunting i mean borrowed time and and you know off of double fantasy watching wheels as well and pretty much every song you did at that time just again listening to your podcast it's like it's strange and at, at the time it came out and people didn't double fantasy people didn't think much of it but as soon as he died of course that's Mm. all that's all we have left
1: yeah it all takes on this incredible poignancy i mean that that just that always happens when someone dies and particularly if they die in in a in an awful way you know it's not natural causes um but you know even even i'm not a massive Elvis fan but i did a show about it with uh someone who's become a really good friend we haven't met in the flesh but we've Online friends. And Elvis died of quote unquote natural causes in the sense that nobody did anything to him. He abused himself. But Elvis was seen in a completely different way as well. But I think with John Lennon, yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, we've, I've done a few shows on this. Episode two was about the last day of his life. If you really want to go into deep, kind of crazy town podcasting, episode 36 was me finding parallels between John Lennon, Mark Chapman, Marlon Brando and myself. That was kind of a crazy episode because I'd done an episode on the murder uh, with somebody who has a conspiracy website and we were kind of speculating about that. And then I had so many notes left over that I decided to do another episode reading my notes. And that went off into all kinds of places. But I think you in particular, if you haven't heard episode 36, I think that would absolutely speak to you. Um, yeah
0: yeah 30 36 i i, I remember that episode and, I mean, and a, yeah, yeah <laughs> I, li- I listened to both 36 and two and mm. and quite honestly that probably probably played a significant part in releasing the uh, an episode where i did my own version of the same sort same sort of thing mm. uh <laughs> which which was the one i just released which is you know, what is neurodivergence? Where I go into this whole bit about, you know, thinking differently and seeing parallels in my life and John and et cetera, Absolutely. et cetera. Like, it's just, in a way, it's like, it's funny. It's like both creatively and intellectually, in a way, you're sitting there going, okay, I know I'm crossing a line here. Mm. Is this a good thing or a bad thing? Or is this just a thing? <laughs>
1: If it's good, if it's good for you, it's a good thing. And again, when I did that episode, I mean, I thought, you know, as I said to you earlier, we put so much, we imposed so much rules, so many rules on ourselves, as well as all the rules which are imposed on us. And God knows how many new laws have been written while we've all been dealing with COVID. I don't even want to think about it, to be honest. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I was, I was crossing a line, but, What's the worst that could happen to me? Someone could write some. Someone might write some abusive. You know, say, "Oh, I hate you. You're glorifying him," and that would just be water off a duck's back because that just wouldn't. You know, I'd take it in, but it wouldn't. I've kind of trained myself not to be affected by that kind of thing. But people uh, went with it. You know, I mean, the, the numbers on those episodes. Not that that's really important, but they went down a little bit. But I think I. I think I said in the next. Intro to the next one. Oh, you know, if you've if you've stuck with me through the last few episodes, which were dealing with Chapman, the whole issue, you know, thank you. And if you I think I put a note on my social media, if if you've been turned off, you know, come back home kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah. So going back to some regular programming. But I I don't feel, you know, it all comes down to like if if I had a Patreon and I would feel some obligation uh because purely because of the you know the money for services equation kind of thing but since you know i've had barely any donations i know it's not about the money but it does say to me you know i can literally do anything i want you know i don't think i'm if i'm offending somebody they don't have to listen you know if you hear something offensive on an episode just turn it off if you decide to carry on and just keep being offended 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 then it's about you wanting to be offended and wanting to vent some sort of anger that's inside you. And I've been there, I've done it myself. Absolutely. But you have a choice, you know, if someone puts out something challenging, okay, don't listen to it. That's it. If you continue to listen, you're making a, you're making an unwritten contract that you're accepting what somebody is saying on a podcast. Totally. Um, And I'm not, and let me just put a little caveat to that. I'm not really talking politically because I think that's a slightly different thing if you're putting out politically offensive ideas that is a little bit different I'm I'm this is very very niche you know the story of John Lennon and Mark Chapman is about as niche as you can get because there's barely anyone who's interested in it you know most people want to say he did it to become famous I don't want to say that guy's name you know most of the other Beatles podcasters you will never hear them say his naming which is fine when you're talking about something that's so niche if you decide to keep listening then I'm sorry you've made a contract to accept that I'm saying it not to accept that you agree with it. that makes sense <laughs>
0: at, at, 100% and, and <laughs> honestly my I, I delved much more into the political world than you do but mm. my philosophy over these past 15 point whatever years has, has been very mm. similar it's like well it's, this is probably not going to be a thing that I'm going to make money from. And it's probably almost, almost better that I don't make much money from it, if at all. Mm. So I'm just going to do whatever I want. Mm -hmm. And if, and if you don't like it, you can turn it off. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I would like to make
1: more money from it and I would like to do this, you know, I know people are doing this full time and I, I understand that there would then be perhaps some compromises, you know, if I had patrons and so forth, you know, but yeah, I don't know. I think my ideal scenario would be not to do this as a job, but to make a bit of money, <laughs> so I, you know I wouldn't have to kill myself doing other jobs. Let's say,
0: you know, I'd like to
1: find a little balance.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I, sh- I share your ambition. Like like, okay, you know, you, I I don't need to be making thousands of dollars as a result of doing this, and I don't want to sell ads mm. or any of that. But mm. I would like some something in my pocket to. Mm show in a more meaningful way what i'm doing has value to people and also it's a motivating thing isn't it you know it, it is very unfortunately very unfortunately it is
1: hey can i ask you something can you we were talking about this i i listened to i binged the last few of your episodes could you just explain neurodivergence exactly i think i understand what it means but
0: i prefer to hear it directly from you rather than look on the internet <laughs> <laughs> I have, to, I have two thoughts about that. One, one is a fr- internal frustration that I didn't, do, I didn't do my explanation well enough, and then two is I'm glad you're asking. Right. To me, it is embracing, or the idea of embracing mental variation. Right. So, you know, this goes into the whole thing of the history of psychology and all that, which I'm... Based on listening to your episodes and your music and everything else you've done, I know you well know the history of psychology. So,
1: yeah, it's been a few years to be honest. But, um, I actually, weirdly enough, I just will say one thing. Um, occasionally I I order books online that I read years ago as a kind of nostalgia trip. And I just, um, I just ordered uh, my psychology book from college (laughs) nearly 30 years ago. Yeah, it's a thousand pages. So, I'm gonna probably spend six months or more just very very gradually going through it but uh,
0: yeah yeah Uh, (laughs) no 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 it's it's um yeah so i mean if you look at the history of mental health and psychology and psychiatry and all of that crap you find that people recognized that not everybody was equal mentally that some people were better at some things than other things and at a certain point freud or later i I don't have the history memorized, but around the point of Freud, let's just say, for simplicity's sake, you started going down this point, uh, this path of people are broken, we need to fix them to make them not be broken. And the people that are, people are broken idea is based not necessarily on again, this is all my perception, based not not necessarily on whether that person actually feels functionally impaired in any way, but more on the external perspective. So it's like, okay, well, if somebody is isolating all day and they're grumpy and they have a hard time going from one task to another, we're going to call them autistic and we're going to say that they are maladaptive. Mm. You know, they're, they're, the way they've adapted to life is not good so we're going to try and change their behavior to make them adapt to societal norms but of course societal norms are not a fixed thing and they're controlled by i'll just loosely say the powers that be hmm. so, oh, so my... sorry, the, the powers that shouldn't be is <laughs> way <of playing> it. <laughs> exactly yeah so so i mean it ends up being this landscape To me, of the medical communities, the psychological community, the prison industrial complex, the mental industrial complex, so on and so forth, you end up with this place of, we need to make people normal, instead of this place of, gee, each person is different, some people are far more different than others, and hey... This guy, Maslow, in the late 50s and early 60s found something, found a little bit of nugget of something in that he noticed that the people, some of the people, not all the people, but some of the people that were more successful creatively were different. So so, so, so for me in college, it became this thing of, oh, gee, I noticed this crossover between what Maslow called self-actualizers and what modern psychology calls the mentally ill. And of course, Maslow's filter was: his filter was, I only want to study the healthy because everything, everyone had before him had studied the broken. But in, in saying that I only want to study the healthy, you know, when he did case studies on the 18 people he studied, I don't remember the entire list, but I know Einstein was on there, mm. he missed critical parts of their life stories and I think there are researchers um again I mentioned them in in the previous episode um but I think there are researchers that are starting to catch on to this and I think you know in terms of the word neurodivergence it was a sociologist uh Judy Singer who who coined the term in in 98 and It was kind of in recognition of the fact that hey maybe what we've been calling illness this whole time is only illness in a certain respect i guess so it's you know it's a matter of perspective and and whether your view of the world is everybody should be stormtroopers a la star wars or ever or everybody should have uniqueness and variation, but for me, for me, I look at, 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 the, at the great creative artists of the past, you know, the list mm. is so this list is so long that I can't even begin. And then I look at myself and I look at other people that seem to have similar traits. And I say to myself like, well, okay. Speaking purely only from my own experience, it, and 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 from what i've studied and seen from other people i see this thing of great work comes as a consequence of pain and trauma and that sucks but mm. maybe if maybe there's a way to give the type of people that experience the world as a a string of never-ending traumas a safer space to to where they can still experience it without losing what makes them special
1: yeah I think yeah I think we are making progress I think perhaps one thing that people are realizing in the 21st century and amazingly we're more than twenty years, we're more than a fifth of the way through the 21st century which is totally crazy I think people really are starting to fight Starting to understand that fine line between what's normal and what's mad, in inverted commas. And um, rd Lang, if you haven't come across him, L A I N G.
0: The name is, name rings a bell, but go go ahead.
1: Yeah, yeah, just it's just a just a name. Maybe you could write down and check out. And there's a good podcast from the BBC called "In the Psychiatrist's Chair," and it was running years ago. But if you look at R. D. Lang's rd lang's episode on there i think if you listen to that episode you will just uh, say love it as in you'll be very stimulated and interested by it but there's a fascinating story i don't know if it was lang or someone else Have you ever heard the story of the guy as an experiment who went to uh i'm gonna say mental institution i don't know what the pc word is but you know what i'm talking about yeah Alar. yeah Allah one flew over the cuckoo's nest yep he went there as a kind of an actor or a journalist I can't remember what he was but he went in there and he told them I hear voices or something like that he said I think it was just one phrase and then he spent the rest of the time trying to get himself um, discharged from there and he couldn't based on this one thing that he had said when he walked in I remember that story and yeah that was that was yeah if you if you want to know what's crazy I mean that is I mean that is that's just a crazy story, um, but yeah. I feel like we are. I feel like we are making progress. I think people are finally cottoning on. It's a very, very, very slow process. Again, not helped by mainstream media, which just works in absolutes, it just keeps everything as simple as possible. You can decide whether that's purely to make to put people in a state where they want to buy products. That's a whole other story. <laughs> that's a whole other
0: few hours discussion. But, um, right, it, there's just so much to unpack about the world and. Hmm. You know, the, the only way, you know, the only way we can, we can get closer to something better if we, if we can do it at all is just through trying, you know, through, mm. lo- like, you're, like you were saying earlier in, the, in our conversation, the, the idea of, of, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a project, but, you know, do a little bit of something each day to kind of push the boundaries, push mm. something, Hmm. and maybe it'll maybe it'll work out you know that's that's kind of like that's all you got
1: <laughs> yeah and I, I wanted to tell you something um, that i think you find useful is about attracting the right people into your life um now most people and i know it sounds very general but i used to work with activists for a while in london and we used to do events like showing documentaries and um we were never really protesters. We would, we would do things in a more gentle, calm way. And I've got no, no problem with protesting, by the way. Um, we, would, we would stand on Oxford Street, which is a street in the middle of London with a, with a sign saying, we have important questions. See me kind of thing. It's like that, that thing the headmaster tells you at school, see me, which means you're in trouble. But in our case, it was, we have interesting questions. And again, what I was saying to you earlier, by approaching us and saying, right, I want to answer your questions, they're making a contract whereby you can't suddenly start getting offended, because you've agreed to approach us. The whole point was we had a sign, and we would just ask questions about um, the world and understanding of media. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And I have to say, you know, and, and you and I being very honest here, which I love, I was just, my breath was taken away by how innocent the public are. It's just phenomenal in terms of politics in terms of uh having an expansive view of the world and you know i just have to say that and that was over a period of months so i'm not just pulling stuff out of my head um, the way to attract people is most people if you meet socially most people don't talk about anything deep like the first time you meet them i think we could agree on that you know you oh just yeah talk, you just talk about you know, you just make small talk you makes you know so people everyone's comfortable blah 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 um so what i used to find is that i would do the same thing i was sort of programmed by my background uh you know i'd say most people's background to just talk about sort of nothing just to be comfortable what i found then was that people would feel that we'd connected and then they'd invite me socially and i'd go out with them a few times and then i'd realize we're never going to talk about anything deep (laughs) and like I'm sorry, but you know i just i just I just doesn't interest me. Just talking about nothing all the time doesn't interest me. so I, I suddenly realized through through books, through discovering podcasting around two thousand and eight, not not making podcasts but absorbing them, and just going on a an incredible journey of self-coaching and self-discovery, and being very honest with myself, I sort of realized the only way you're going to attract people that are interest to you is to start going to the deep stuff the first time you meet someone. And that doesn't mean, you know, telling someone your life story because that's just gonna put them off. But expressing who you are or who you wanna put out there. And that's the only way that you're gonna attract like minds. Because if you just talk about nothing, you're gonna, you know, you might attract like minds, but it will be a bit more inadvertent. And people will think that they've connected with you, but then you'll realize that they're never gonna talk about anything particularly profound you know so that's the way to do it
0: I'd say yeah no that that's that sounds thank you Anthony mm-hmm. I that that sounds really good and I, I agree I I think that makes a lot of sense I think you know I've I've done the protest scene occupy mm-hmm. Seattle etc yeah. and I'm I would describe myself as you well know uh now more as kind of this ivory tower reclusive person mm-hmm. and uh it's funny. It's like so much of the world is that just lives at that shallow level of you know their eyes are closed, metaphorically speaking. And I'd estimate, at least in the local area that I live in, there are there are maybe uh, just taking a stab at, at in the dark at the numbers. You know, there's there's about a hundred thousand people in the area that I that I live in. Mm. And I'd guess maybe 500 of those 100,000 people have their eyes in some variation of an open state, you know, obviously it varies person to person. Of those 500 people, I'm discovering, you know, I can have those real conversations that I value Mm. and have it kind of work uh, with about... Three out of those 500 people (laughs) Mm. (laughs) so so it really becomes a horrible math problem um (laughs) in a lot of ways you know which is which is why of course even though the internet is the fruit of the whole silicon valley cia bit Mm. um it, it does have this nice ring of well you know you can create a podcast and you can create connect to a person that's thousands of miles away and Mm -hmm. and make it kind of make it work that way but yeah it's 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 a very hard thing living in like actually living in the real world and um you know finding the right person is 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 a difficult thing but i but i think your your life experience and your wisdom and and your thoughts on that are are absolutely solid and i guess Mm -hmm. that brings me to probably probably what would be close to kind of a closing point here in your recent life experience my understanding through listening to your your podcast is you know at some point you you moved out of madrid and and moved on and kind of started going into a more life coaching direction um Hmm. what what has that experience been for you been like for you and and what are you hoping to do there i guess
1: um well it's been (laughs) the shift to life coaching has been very very slow and uh because i haven't done heavy marketing i just i probably should but i just feel so uncomfortable with it i just you know i, I do an okay job of marketing my podcasts but i i never really use you know those kind of marketing taglines and uh, so it's kind of word of mouth so i've only really coached a handful of people but i find that um with english teaching so basically i teach adults and I teach uh, English as a second language. So I'm not teaching in a high school or anything. And at the moment I'm working online. Um, I find that and my music and my podcasting, it's almost, in a funny way, it's almost all the same thing in that it's all, I would say performing, but not performing in a fake way. I don't mean it as like putting on a performance, but obviously if I'm very tired, and I have an English class, I'm not going to start. I have some students who I have quite a close relationship with, but if it's someone who I just have a a warm professional relationship, I'm not going to start going to them. Oh, I'm really tired today. I can't really be bothered with this. You know, (laughs) truth and honest, truth and honesty is one thing, but you've got to, you know, you've got to play the game to some extent. And even John Lennon would say that. (laughs) Yep. yep. Um, Even, even the most way out person, even probably Frank Zappa would, would appreciate that. Um, But it's all, it's being in a, in a, creative performance state i just feel with life coaching you know i have gone on this very very long journey it's been thousands of hours really of absorbing content thinking and doing my own writing and everything um i just want to impart that and english teaching can get very frustrating because you are essentially listening to the same mistakes you know for hour upon hour months years So it's been a gradual transition but it, it's quite seamless in one way and uh because a lot a lot of english teaching sometimes you feel like you're a bit of a therapist or a life coach because when i used to actually go into offices and teach like in madrid for example a lot of business people they they just want to offload and i didn't really mind because it it was it was interesting for me you know i'm i i've studied psychology um very interested in uh, very curious about people so i used to say i used to want say you know if you just want to talk let's do it you know if you want to do exercises i've got plenty of exercises we can do grammar etc um so i'm trying to make it really as seamless as possible and trying to um yeah just just pass on pass on uh what i've learned really and then you know there's various techniques for rapport you know i'm i'm not, I'm not I'm not ahead, you know, I'm not um, above using techniques, you know, I think, I think we learn through life, through life, <laughs> see what I did there, yeah, no, <laughs> so, that was brilliant, that was absolutely brilliant, I didn't mean that, I wouldn't be as clunky as that, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you learn, you learn that, you know, you, even, even the biggest rebel, let's say, you know, I said John Lennon, Frank Zappa, pick those rebels, they all, they all knew that you have to negotiate life, and you try and be as truthful as you can, but it is all a game as well, you know. If you yep. go out, when you go out there in the world, or even if you switch on your computer, um, if you work online, for example, you are still um, performing, quote unquote. Yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to to make a transition there. And uh, as we said earlier, you know, it'd be nice to earn a few pennies from the podcast. So I'll probably end up doing lots of different jobs. Probably be part of the gig
0: economy. That, that's yeah. kind of what I'm thinking for some variation of my future too. Like it's it's mm. it's it's a very hard world to navigate right now, obviously. And yeah. you know, you just you try and scratch your head and figure it out because you know you think to yourself, Oh well, I want to travel. And it's like, well no, that ain't gonna happen right now. Mm. <laughs> you know, so you just you try and make it work. And I think I said it in, in some spots and I probably articulated it better there than I'm going to in, in this moment. But right. you know you learn by fucking up horribly (laughs) (laughs) like that 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 is that is the only way a person can learn so Mm. you know it's like okay i'm gonna you know you just go into something okay i'm gonna try this i'm gonna fail miserably but i'm gonna learn a lot from it and that's Mm. you know that's kind of the best you can do but gosh anthony i i i think we could talk endlessly i for sure yeah (laughs) i really enjoyed this i I hope we can do it again at some point. And yeah, as I
1: say, if you ever want to do a follow
0: up, we can. Yeah, we can keep going. Absolutely. I do want to ask if I can use one of your songs to kind of bridge to the outro stuff. And sure. Uh, Yeah. That would be lovely. Thank you so much for your time, Anthony. And please uh, feel free to share all you know your links with your with the listeners. And I will of course include them in the show notes
1: yeah well it's good now because i've 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 finally got a website so anthony without an h rotuno r o t u n o dot com and um yeah that's got everything so it's got uh, a blog which is really old like uh, i was saying earlier how i kind of flip between sometimes i'm writing sometimes it's music sometimes it's podcasting i had a load of blog posts from many many years ago 2013 to about fifteen. And I've transferred all of them onto the website with a picture for each. And then I've started adding more. So there's a blog, there's my music, there's tons of music, there's recorded music, live demos, and then there's links to all three of my podcasts. So it's so nice to finally have it all there in one place. So the listeners go there, then they'll find everything.
0: Awesome. Thank you
1: very much for having me on. It's been great. And we will definitely do a follow-up sometime in the future
0: no problem at all sir any any time Beautiful work. Thank you again, Anthony. Life goes on indeed. If you'd like to support my work by sending some cheese to the tower in the form of feedback or donations, please head to nicknackpod.net. That's N I C N A C P O D.net. You can check out all of Anthony's work at anthonyratuno.com. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. Available at knickknackpod.net. The opening music is Raindrop Rhapsody" by Josh Elkenberry. We heard Anthony's Life Goes On featuring the amazing, amazing violin solo of Maria Martin. Great music. Please check his work out. Life Goes On is copyright 2017 by Anthony Rituno and included with his permission. Again, check out his music at anthonyretuno.com. The closing music, of course, is Catch Me If You Can by Attica Attica. Find them at atticaattica.bandcamp.com. I thank all of these wonderful artists for allowing their creations to be used in this production. It's greatly appreciated. The Nicknack Podcasts and FS Write Along series is copyright 2006 through 2021 by Nicknack Marsh and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non Commercial 4.0 International License. Again, I thank you so much for taking the time to listen. May you find the safety and support to empower you and meet your needs. Till next time, stay safe, stay sane, get vaccinated, happy railroading, happy landings. Bye.